144th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, listening via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Trying to think of any other more po- podcasting platforms I can name here. Being recorded from a street on Caledine, Caledine Ave in uh, Buffalo, New York. Can't get too specific or mom might be mad at me. Got a great show planned for you today. Going to have Christian Clark on. He covers the New Orleans Pelicans for The Advocate. Had a really good and interesting interview with uh, Christian. You're going to listen to that in about 10 to 12 minutes. Some of the things I talked about with Christian. Pelicans in general, we talked about the trade, right? Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart. They go to the Pelicans for an Anthony Davis who goes to Los Angeles. Lonzo Ball is a player. We talk about Zion, one of the young and budding spectacular stars of the league. Drew Holiday, he, he makes some interesting points on Drew Holiday in terms of being more of a playoff performer. I thought that was interesting as well. So a, a lot of interesting stuff that Christian doles out for us. Uh, awesome interview. And I want to thank him once again for coming on. Didn't have to do that, so I want to give a clap to Christian. But here's where I want to start, right? And a lot of times in life, you get to see how... You get to see the most successful people, the people that, you know, have it all together. You get to see what they're like in crisis, right? The people that are on the top of the food chain, they usually work well during crisis. They usually have success. Despite when crisis hits. For example, we have the coronavirus going on. Wimbledon got canceled a tennis tournament, one of the premier tennis tournaments, probably the premier tennis tournament in the world, right? Uh, Wimbledon on, and uh, England or wherever it is got canceled. Yeah, the NHL canceled. NBA canceled. MLB canceled. Sporting events are canceled. Now we're going to see which athletes during this time are able to, you know, work through adversity, work through struggle? Because I'll, I'll tell you right now, and it was really interesting, and people talked about this on the uh, Buker on the NBA reporter for the Buker and Friends podcast. And it was really interesting when they were talking about it. And you wouldn't believe this. And I really thought about this, and I was like, yeah, this makes sense. Most athletes do not have a gym in their house or an elite gym that you would think a professional top-end elite athlete in the world, in the country, would have. Why don't they? They have so much money. Why don't they? Well, during the season, they have all have access to 24-hour facilities that have the best equipment in the world. And in the summer, they are someplace, and since they are professional athletes, they have clout who they are. They can get wherever they want to, whenever they feel like it. Anytime, any day, any place. 24-hour access. So they don't need to spend extra money to have, because, mind you, workout equipment costs a lot of money. And elite workout equipment, I wouldn't even begin to fathom how much that costs. So it actually relatively makes sense to not pay to have all that in your house. Not everybody's LeBron James and they have an 
indoor basketball court and every equipment no debate. Like, I take care of my body. Not everybody is like that. You think J.R. Smith has a gym in his house? No. Guarantee you 95% of athletes don't. So we're going to see which athletes find a way to stay in shape. Find a way to take care of themselves. Because, too, another point. When you're training, if you do find a place to work out when you're training, and, and I know this is somebody that none didn't play sports at a high level, but played sports collegiately and in high school. You work harder when you're with other people. It's usually the one percenters, the LeBron James, the Kobe Bryants, the Michael Jordans, the Tom Brady's, that will go 100% max effort when nobody is around. Every day, all day. It's the one percenters, the top of the top. They're the exception, not the norm. You're not going to see a J.R. Smith, right? You're not going to see J.R. Smith pushing himself to his max ability alone someplace. Probably not a player of that caliber. That's why he's J.R. Smith and not LeBron. But like, you, you can got to get where you know how hard people work, and we can get all into all that. But 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 that's what it is. So. Don't have an elite equipment. And if you do have elite equipment and you find a way to get a hold of elite equipment, are you going to be training to your maximum potential? Because most of the time, iron sharpens iron. You're J.R. Smith. You see a Dion Waiters walk through that door. You're like, I'm going to compete with this guy today. Let's go. You know, you kind of like, you know, throbbing at the mouth. You're like, let's go. You're just dripping. Like, you're like, let's go. Let's test myself. Let's push it. You have a strength and conditioning coach. It's like, oh, you can go harder. Because sometimes... You don't know what you can physically do in competition until you actually do it. And so a lot of people need people to push them, poke and prod, push the right buttons. So that's also the next concern. And now we get to the next concern. The money. People can say athletes do it for the love of the game. I mean, I'm not going to say this. Why do most people work? Most people work because they love their job. Hopefully you do. Lots of people work because it pays the bills. It takes John and Samantha to college. It makes the wife happy. That's why people work. Most people do not do what they actually love. That's what we all strive for, but that does not happen in most cases. Lots of athletes, they do it because of what it brings for them. So here's where we're going to put this in a situation. We're having athletes who don't have access to elite training equipment. Second, who don't have somebody pushing them. You know, don't have that iron sharpens iron, that edge. And then three, it's kind of like, I don't know when the season's going to come. Am I going to train to keep myself in peak performance? Right? Like the wife's home, the kids are home, everybody's home, all this other stuff is going on. And the NBA, they were talking about, uh, I believe, the next period where they give checks, they might not pay them. So it's like, what? And it's like, is this going to happen? What's going on with the coronavirus? So much is going on in the news. Am I going to stay? So I'm just saying, we're going to see, Right? Which players come? Which players start out kind of fast? Which players start out slow? Which players might get hurt because they haven't been working out as much? We're going to see that when this epidemic ends. I guarantee you. Now, here's what I also wanted to get into. I think it's really interesting. A lot of the time, and also with the draft, right? A draft coming up in about a month. Kind of sooner, actually. Chase Young has been talked about, defensive end from Ohio State. Chase Young. He's the best prospect on the board overall. He's better than Joe Burrow. He's better than Tua Tagovailoa. 
Best defensive player. Right? He's an edge rusher. Something I've always said on this podcast and in general is, you want a quarterback, you want somebody that can protect the quarterback, a tackle, and you want somebody, somebody that can get after the quarterback and end, and you want somebody that can cover a corner. That's what you want. So people might say, oh, why get a linebacker? Isaiah Simmons, who's a freak of nature from Clemson versus a Chase Young. Now, here's why I would go with Chase Young. I remember I was in eighth grade and I was Mr. Frum was my social studies teacher. He always talked about if you save like one dollar or a penny or something every day, it ends up accumulating. If you save it for like 50 years, you end up being a millionaire. Now, who actually does that? Nobody. It's not fun. <laughs> Most people, you know, you know how much richer young people would be if when they're at my age, when they're, let's say you're 15 to 25, you're still working, still figuring stuff out, still working at restaurants, closed stores. You don't have your career fully there yet. And instead of going out, getting weed, drugs, alcohol, going to clubs, doing all this other stuff that kids my age tend to do, right? They saved all that money that they got from their check, put it in the bank. How much more money would they have when they were in their 50s? A lot more. But it's not as fun. I feel like that's how the way we talk about the pass rusher, Chase Young. He's fun. He's exciting. He's flashy. We want it. You know, the crazy strip sack. All the media hoopla about him, right? Heisman finalist as a defensive end. That's crazy. We love Chase Young. It's the parting. It's what's cool. It's flaunting money. It's getting shoes. It's getting kicks. It's getting the new Nike gear. But Isaiah Simmons, you get a linebacker who could have longer career, a longer career. Let's say Chase Young's elite for eight. Isaiah Simmons is elite for 12. What's wrong with Isaiah Simmons is 12? Perfect example. Ray Lewis, one of the greatest linebackers ever, was at Baltimore for about 16, 17 years, was the quarterback of the defense. Would you rather have Ray Lewis? Name me a defensive end, a pass rusher that you'd rather have over Ray Lewis. Lawrence Taylor, okay. Reggie White, okay. Bruce Smith, Buffalo Bill, my hometown team. Okay, I guess I could see the argument. After that, not a whole lot of pass rushers. I'm taking out of Ray Lewis. Heart and soul of a defense. What do we talk about in football now? What is football all about? Versatility. Can you play multiple positions? Can you play on every down? People say that Isaiah Simmons can play corner, he can play safety, he can play linebacker, he can rush the passer from a, a rush-in spot. He can do multiple things, and he can be the leader and captain of your defense. Doesn't that sound like it has a little bit more longer longevity than just having the quick, flashy pass rusher? Just a thought. Now, coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, going to have... Christian Clark on the show. He covers the New Orleans Pelicans for The Advocate. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We have a very special guest with us, Christian Clark. He covers New Orleans Pelicans for the Advocate. How you doing, Christian? I'm doing well today, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Now, the first question I do want to ask you is, is this kind of in the wake of the whole coronavirus pandemic that has shut down uh, the NBA and the sports world at large and the country. Uh, 
How's everything going in New Orleans for you? How are you doing? How's your family doing? And uh, just tell us about that. Oh, man. I mean, uh, I guess I'm, I'm, you know, one of the lucky ones, really. Um, I mean, I've been just me and my fiancé in my apartment both working for the past couple of weeks. But I'm lucky, you know, to still have some work. I'm lucky to have my health. Uh, my parents live in the Dallas-Fort area, Texas. Uh, they're isolating, too, and they're both healthy. So, I mean, all, all things considered, um, you know, pretty fortunate. Um, it's, I just, you know, know tough times for a lot of people right now. This, is, this isn't fun for anybody. Yeah, and also, too, because didn't Mardi Gras kind of cause an issue, too, because how many people were there? Yeah, I think that is, you know, related to, you know, why we have such a high rate of infection. You know, New Orleans is right up there with anybody in terms of just, like, the death rate per capita because of this. So it's it's pretty grim here. I'm definitely thinking of the medical professionals in New Orleans. I mean, that's not an easy job right now. Yeah. And also the interesting thing, too, is in relation to the Pelicans, like, they were one of the first teams, they, they were part of the night that Adam Silver, the NBA, decided to uh, cancel the season. I believe the, uh, no, the, the Jazz and Thunder had been canceled, the Hawks and Knicks were playing, I had just got done playing, and it was supposed to be the Pelicans and the Kings, and then they just, and then there was something with the referee, and then they just decided to kibosh the whole nine, they're like, we're done. Just to kind of talk about what you remember from that night. Yeah, so I was in Sacramento for that night. Um, it was, I mean, from my end, it was very hectic because um, at first I thought that this was going to be the last game before the NBA paused indefinitely. I was like holed up trying to write a story for print, basically saying that, hey, you know, Rudy Gobert tested positive. This is going to be, you know, the final NBA game before the league goes away for a while. And as soon as I hit send on that story, I go up to, to take my spot to watch the game, and I see the Pelicans aren't out there on the floor for warm-ups. There's about three minutes before tip-off. And at that point, I'm like, oh, they're not out there. They're, there's no way they're playing this game. So I hustled back downstairs, tried to try to learn what I could. Um, you know, kind of the issue in that game was one of the referees in that game had refed uh, Rudy Gobert's game two nights earlier. So there's understandably some, cur- some concern from the Pelicans' end. Um, you know, they didn't want to play next to a ref potentially been infected. And, yeah, man, the, the game didn't happen. Uh, throughout the next morning, that was the emptiest airport I've ever seen. It was like it was like something out of 28 days later or something. Oh, oh God. <laughs> now, what was your kind of your thoughts heading up to that night? Were you kind of like, okay, like, when were you kind of like for you? Because you mentioned that really the, the moment for you is when you didn't see the players coming out. And obviously, that's the ultimate sign. But what were kind of the tells for you? And you're like, yeah, this probably isn't going to happen for not only the Pelicans, but for the NBA at large. Well, I thought it was pretty funny. The conversation, you know, that day, the, the pregame media availability was about the possibility of playing games uh, in empty arenas. That was what everybody was asking, you know, the head coaches. Um, <laughs> That's what everybody was was bracing to do. You know, they already had like the the media's got to stay six feet back from the players, and they're not allowed into locker rooms anymore. Um, so it's kind of funny that you know that's what that's what everybody thought they were going to do, and then you know, boom! All of a sudden, there's just no games at all. I mean, just I think as soon as one player tested positive, which was inevitable, really, they had no choice but the but the pause play. Now, 
for 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 you. Uh, when do you think the NBA will come back? It, in your heart of hearts, when do you think we will see NBA basketball again? Do you think we'll see it at all this year, or, or do you think there will be a point where we see basketball games? I mean, I don't think anybody really knows for sure. Um, the optimists, I guess, would tell you that there will be basketball, NBA basketball back in some capacity. You know, how that looks, they, they don't know. Maybe the NBA gets real experimental. We've seen that they're not afraid to try different things in the past. Maybe it looks like a single elimination tournament to, to get into the playoffs or, a, you know, a little bit of a different playoff format than we're accustomed to. But, you know, I think there is a real possibility that the season is canceled altogether. Um, I think even, you know, the, the optimistic people at this point right now, I don't think there's a chance that, you know, teams are flying to different cities and, you know, even if it is in empty arenas that they're, they're traveling to all the different NBA cities. I think that if it does come back, we'll likely see, you know, teams playing at, at centralized locations. You know, I, I don't know how much you've read about, like, the possibility of playing in, like, a bubble or something like that, but I think if, if, if the NBA does come back, then we'll see probably a centralized location type of thing. And I've even heard stuff about having it in Vegas. I've heard, I've heard a couple of stuff about that and just having everybody go there. But but it does seem like there is a lot of talk about it having the games at a centralized location, which makes sense because you know you don't want players in all these huge cities. You know, there's a lot to do. Like there's a lot more stuff to take into account when you have players traveling from place to place to place. It's a lot easier if everybody just at one place. Yeah, and my my gut feeling, and this is this is just me, but I feel like we're going to see games in in some capacity just because I. Even if it is in like, you know, centralized locations, even if it is an abbreviated playoff format, I just feel like we're going to see something. Um, you know, one, I think, you know, the NBA just wants to have something on TV. Like, they want to be able to generate playoff revenue in, in some way or, or another, even if that is, you know, fans not be able to go to the arenas and, and just watch it on TV. Um, so that's number one. And two, I think, you know, we just needed the distraction too. Uh, but I, my my prediction is that we'll see something, even if it is doesn't look like anything that we're accustomed to. Now, right? So the the Pelicans to me are kind of one of the most interesting teams in the NBA from this perspective, right? So they're they're linked to the LeBron trade. Uh, and, and that's where we're kind of start. But you know, there's also the Zion impact. Uh, the fact that they have Brandon Ingram was just an all-star. So here's what I want to, I want you to take me back to the, the, the trade with, when they get guys like Lonzo Ball, uh, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart for Anthony Davis. How good did you think those guys were going to be? And did you foresee potentially a guy like Brandon Ingram could make an all-star his first year in New Orleans? Uh, no, no, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, Josh Pelicans, Understandably, you know they could have negotiated a contract extension for him, and they wanted to see what he's able to do. I, you know, you have to remember that Ingram was coming off an abbreviated last season with the Lakers. He only played in 52 games because of those blood clots in his right shoulder. And you know, one of the incredible things about Ingram's breakout season is that he mostly didn't even have a have a summer to fully work on his game. I mean, he wasn't even able to play five on five until late August, early September. 
Um, he was really just kind of like shooting on his own and, and you know, getting in some, some light work while he recovered from the, the blood guts in his right shoulder. Um, so I, I definitely didn't see this coming from him. Um, actually, I've liked Lonzo Ball for a while. I was a big fan of his game. I thought that he might do well in Alvin Gentry's system. He's kind of tailor-made to be, you know, the guy who sets up a lot of weapons in an up-tempo system. And he got off to a rough start, but I think what we've seen the past two, two and a half months is kind of what I expected. Um, so I would say about what we, you know, we're getting about what I thought from Lonzo Ball. Brandon Ingram has been better than I matched going in, and I think Josh Hart has been about as good as I thought he was too. I mean, I think he's a useful player. Do you think that the Pelicans got the mostly absolutely good for Anthony Davis because there's always talk, you know, you, you can never win when you give up a superstar of that caliber and, and everybody knows how successful the Lakers have been since that trade was made. But but do you think like the the Pelicans, David Griffin and the Pelicans brass can look back at it and be like, you know what, we we, we got pretty good returns for this. Like it, it wasn't like we, we just gave up Anthony Davis and we'll never be able to recoup all this. We, we kind of won in this too. I mean, yeah, I think they have the feel great about their haul. I mean, anytime... Anytime you're giving up, you know, a guy who's, you know, top five, top seven player in the league, you're you're probably just not going to get equal return. Um, that's just that's just how it is. I mean, it, it's just so hard to replace those guys, even if you're replacing them with a lot of good pieces. But they tell had to feel great uh, about their return. I mean, they got a star in Ingram to have a player, you know, they got back in the trade, go to an all-star in his first year of the team, I think is, a huge win. They got their point guard of the future, Alonzo Ball. Um, I think they got a rotation player for years to come, Josh Hart, and then you know, just a treasure chest of picks. And I think the interesting thing about a lot of those picks is they're, they're so far in the future that, like, you know, the Lakers could be done with this, you know, LeBron AD, like, power duo when, when they, they have to give up some of these picks. And, I mean, I don't know if they're, like, a great organization. Um, I mean, I mean, I think there's a chance that in, in five years they're not a very good team. I mean, who knows? That's so far in the future. But I think it's a tr- like it's beneficial and attractive that the, the Pelicans got a lot of those picks so far in the future. Yeah, the Pelicans have a lot of picks. They have a lot of assets. They also have Zion. And... Uh, he was really out for most of the year. Then he just recently came back, and he's been outstanding since he's come back. And he's, and you're kind of seeing maybe what this young Pelicans team can be. How good do you think Zion Williams is right now in terms of his status and hierarchy in the league? And what's the highest level you think he can ascend to? <laughs> um, I mean, he has just been unfreaking believable. I mean, the expectations were so high coming in, and he's, he's met all of them. It's it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, JJ Reddick did a did a hit on the jump today, and um, you know he was asked that same question. And JJ Reddick's like not a guy who blows a lot of smoke. And he said, you know, MVP, first team All NBA, best player in a championship team. And I agree with him. I mean, I think that is his ceiling. Um, you know, he's got to get, got to keep improving. Um, I think he's been pretty poor on defense since he came back. Um, I think a lot of that is just he wasn't able to play that whole three months. You got to keep working on that outside shot, but, but unbelievable talent, um, and I think he's got the right attitude too. Um, he's a hard worker. He wants to win, and 
I think he's a great teammate too. I think you know a lot of guys who are in his position could would come in with with huge egos and just just view this as a situation where like you guys got to fit in around me. But it was crazy when Zion came back. I thought it actually like, turned it around a little bit. You know, Zion came back with the mentality of like, well, I, I just want to help y'all in any way. You know, things are going good, and I just don't think you see that very often from. A guy who's been in public eye to the degree that he's been in since he was 15, 16 years old. Now, when you talk about how he's kind of been poor on defense, what do you mean by that specifically? Like, what aspects? Yeah, what aspects of his defense? Oh, I think the biggest thing is just being able to go side to side on the perimeter. I think that's something he was actually a pretty decent at at Duke, but, you know, this year when he's been asked to guard the perimeter, a lot of times. You know, he'll, like, turn his body, and a guy will drive it right in his backside and, and get a foul that way. He's not able to, to stay square and, like, you know, keep his chest lined up with a defender without fouling. Uh, so, he, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. Now, also, too, and you also mentioned this, too, which is one of the really special things about Zion, too. Uh, kind of the fact that he doesn't have an ego. Uh, everybody knows what type of star he was at Duke. He, you talk about the expectations. I mean, he's probably the most talked about athlete in the NBA, probably since LeBron James was just saying something because we know the last, that was more than a decade ago, and we know how good LeBron James was, is, and is all time in the pantheon of all time basketball players. So, for what do you kind of think it says about him? What kind of respect do you think it, it kind of gives for him an equity with the team, with the players, the coach, the organization, that a guy with that type of stats can come in and be like, okay, you know what, I'm not the guy, I'm going to do whatever I can to fit in. You guys don't have to fit in around me. Because a lot of guys wouldn't do that, and you're right. Oh, I mean, it's huge. Uh, I, I think, you know, it just sets a precedent that, that if, you know, your best player, your 19-year-old prodigy is going to act this way, then everybody's expected to, to act that way and, and, and sacrifice for the better of the team. And I, I think it's absolutely huge. Um, you know, I think David Griffin has done a really good job of, establishing a culture of, of selflessness and that it's all about winning. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot to like from this first year. I think, you know, this like new era of Pelicans basketball, there's a very strong foundation to build on. Um, and, you know, it, it starts with Zion. I mean, it's just, it just changes everything when you're, you know, your best player has the attitude that Zion does. It's just such a star-driven league now. Now, one concern that people have stated about Zion is the weight and, and you know, how big he is because of how explosive he is and how that could impact him long-term in terms of injuries. Do you know how, because I kind of want to get this figured out, how much does Zion actually weigh? Because I've heard 300 pounds, I've heard 270, like, I don't know. How much does he actually weigh? Well, he's listed at 285, and I think that when he came back, uh, I think he was, more, more than 285. I think that was <laughs> a conservative estimate. Uh, I mean, just just like look at the still images and video from him at Duke, and then you know, watch, go back and watch his debut when he scored those 17 fourth quarter points or whatever it was. I mean, it just looks way bigger. It's 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 pretty noticeable. I mean, you don't even have to be up close. And I will say too. I mean, I get this question a lot. People just straight up ask me, is is he fat? And I would say no. Like, even if he is, even if he, let's just say, hypothetically, does weigh, like, three bills right now, like, 
he's not he's not fat. He's just he's just an enormous human being. Like he's like Shaquille O'Neal in that way. Like I wouldn't say you know when Shaq was like I'm not running the Lakers that he was ever fat. He's just huge, man. And sure he could be trying to be you know more driven and better shape. And you know I think he was gearing up to get that way. Uh, I think the guy, you know his build and and just how unique he is. If, if he's not able to to play for three months, then you know, that's just going to be the case. Now, now, a question for me would be, do you think that will ever end up being a concern? Because when you do mention Shaq, you kind of mentioned that similar type body. And, and kind of, when, when Shaq got closer to the end and the Shaq got, got older in the league, and it could have been other stuff too, but he kind of got noticeably fat. Like, L.A. Shaq wasn't fat, but, you know, Shaq with the Boston Celtics was fat, for, for lack of a better term. Do you think that could be a concern, you know, kind of as he gets older, his metabolism slows, that that weight could not be good weight? I mean, I think the concern is that this is literally an unprecedented player. Like, there's never been a six foot six guy who weighs as much as a defensive end with a 45-inch vertical. I mean, I don't know about metabolism and all that, but, like, can, I mean, I think it's, like, a legitimate question. Can, you know your knees and, and your lower body hold up that with just the torque that he's generating every single time, you know, he jumps. Now, I also, and really too, because you, you do mention every time he jumps, like that that's a lot of weight going up and down at a high velocity, high rate. Do you think, do the Pelicans do anything on practice or do they do anything health-wise with them? Or, or you know, kind of kind of rest them like, hey, Zion, you're not practicing today. Like, how do they kind of manage that? Oh, yeah. I mean, they have, like, a whole training program. Uh, and, I mean, I think that was a big point of emphasis when he was recovering was preventing future injury. I think part of it is they've, they've worked with him to become more flexible. Uh, and I think flexibility is a, a huge part of it. Uh, I think, you know, they work with him on the way he lands. Like, when he goes up and throws out a dunk, um, they don't want him to just like immediately come down and, and land on one leg awkwardly. You know, if he can hang on the rim for a second and, and kind of regain your balance, and, you know, make sure when you are coming down, you're coming out, down on two feet with a sturdy base. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely, I would say that was a concern, you know, day in and day out during the recovery process of how do you make sure this doesn't happen again? Now the next guy I kind of want to talk about is Drew Holiday, who who I think it's kind of a travesty because he, he, to me, is truly like one of probably the most underrated guy in the NBA. Like when you talk about like who's a top 20 player in basketball, people will mention C.J. McCollum, but they won't mention Drew Holiday, which to me is crazy. Can you just talk about how good Drew Holiday actually is in the grand scheme of things in the NBA right now? You know, I think that's an interesting question because uh, I was I covered the Nuggets for three seasons before I started covering the team this year and I was always on that camp of Drew Holiday is, is so underrated I mean I always I like many people pointed to that playoff series against Portland when he just completely dominated Damian Lillard and they swept him and Drew Holiday is a very excellent player and I, I think what's interesting about him is that he might be a guy who is better in the playoffs than, than he is in the regular season I mean his game is is really suited towards postseason basketball. He's a good isolation scorer, and he, he really is a guy who can guard one through four and even one through five at times. Um, all that said, I have to say I was a little disappointed by Drew 
you know, just game in and game out this year. Um, you know, they the Pelicans really ask him to be like the primary scoring threat at the beginning of the season, and he really struggled out of the gates. I mean, he was not very efficient. Um, I think Drew getting off to a slow start was, you know, a big reason why the Pelicans got off to this six and twenty-two start. Um, I I just don't know that Drew is like, you know, the undisputed best guy on. Uh, a good team. I, I think Drew is, is best when he's like a number two or number three option. But I mean, he's a, he's a very very good player. And what I hope more than anything is that I just get to see him play in the playoffs with with this Pelicans team. Um, I mean, I, if the Pelicans don't get a chance to make the postseason next year, uh, I think you know if everyone's healthy and they run it back, they'll definitely make the playoffs next year. And I'd be really interested to see because, like I said, I think Drew might be that guy who's actually better in the playoffs than he is the regular season. It, it is funny, and maybe part of it too is, right, sometimes perception becomes reality, and every player has their moment, right? Uh, not unless you're LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or Kevin Durant, you have multiple playoff moments, but, but Jeru Holiday's shining moment was quite literally destroying Damian Lillard in a playoff series. People think really highly around the league about Damian Lillard, and maybe kind of lives off of that, and maybe is that is that what you're kind of alluding to a little bit? Well, I, I mean, I think, like, just comparing Damon Drew is really interesting because I think if you're picking, like, one player to carry a team over an 82-game regular season, like, clearly uh, Damian Lillard is the choice there. You're just, if he's your best player over an 82-game regular season, more often than not, you're going to win more games than if, if Jerron is your best player. But when they get in the playoffs, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, I'd, I'd almost rather have Drew if I'm trying to win a playoff series and a championship than, than so that's how I kind of view them I would say would you see Drew's the best player on the team right now or would you say it's Brandon Ingram or Zion uh, I would probably say Zion um, I mean it just just his ability to go out and get you 20-25 every night and, and make you know 6 out of every 10 shots he, he's taking he's just a machine so you know, he's not even playing that many minutes either I mean I so I would probably take Zion. I don't. I don't know. Maybe that is a little premature, but he he really is the real deal. And to when you mention the core, and I I don't know whatever you say this, I would say the core of the team maybe for the next three to five years is probably going to be Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh yeah. How successful do you think that core can be? Like, like, if we're gonna put a a cap on it, can they get to a finals? Can they win a finals? When do you think they will ascend? Like, like, what do you think is the realistic lifespan and just the potential of that core of those three guys that you built around them? Oh man, that's a that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think you know the best case scenario is yeah, a team that that makes the finals. Um, I mean, I think that Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, you know, we, we've just seen that you need multiple top 15, top 20 guys to to be a team that, that really has a, a real shot at a title. And I think that, you know, Falcons have that on their roster, or the potential to have that on their roster in Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. Like, I think both those guys, you know, absolutely can become both top 20 players. Um, so that, that was the biggest thing. And, you know, a lot of that depends on, how you fill in the gaps around them. Uh, you need to, I think, surround them with a lot of shooting. But 
I mean, I, I love that trio, and um, I, would, I would probably bet on them to, you know, make a Western Conference Finals at, at least uh, at some point in, in their life cycle together. And how well do you think they all can play off each other? Yeah, so I think um, all three of them are guys who like to get out in transition. Uh, they have that in common. You know, in the half court, I think the results have been pretty good, though there still are some kinks to iron out. Um, you know, Lonzo and Zion are, are tailor-made to play with each other. I think we can all see that. Um, I think Ingram and Zion have what's good together at times, and at other times, you know, maybe there are still some issues to be worked out. But I would say um, this isn't like a huge source of tension or anything, but at times this year I've seen, you know, Ingram can, can be sort of a ball stopper, and I guess I would like to see him just, just you know, not stop it quite as much because I think he is a good passer when he's on the move. Just, just keep the offense flowing a little bit more. Um, but just from a 10,000-foot view, yes, I think they all fit pretty well together. And and that's what you mean by kinks. Kind of sometimes Ingram holds onto the ball a little bit too long. Is that what you mean when you say kinks? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say that's you know one of them is that he can be a ball stopper at times. And um, the other one, I mean, the, since I came back, the Pelicans have have beat up on you know teams of losing records, but they haven't shown that they can beat with any regularity teams with winning records. And I think part of it too is. Um, you know, on the offensive end, they, they're starting Zion and Derek Favors. They have two non-shooters in their starting lineup. And I think to see, you know, the best version of this team offensively, uh, it probably looks like, you know, a team that has a center who's a, a three-point threat. Um, I mean, I just think we've seen that, you know, in the playoffs at the highest level, it's hard to have more than one non-shooter on the floor at a time. And do you think Alvin Gentry is the guy to kind of take this team to the next level? Do you think he'll be there for kind of like this stretch run, young uh, stretch run with these young guys? What do you mean stretch run? Uh, for you know when we talk about those three to five years, for example, right? The Golden State Warriors, you know, they have Mark Jackson, but Steve Kerr is the guy that takes them to another level. When you talk about kings like maybe Brandon Ingram, maybe maybe all their potential isn't unlocked, or, or maybe that that's too early to be said. We don't we don't know. But do you think Alvin because you know Alvin, Alvin's been around in the league for a long time? How, how do you think that's going to play out? Um, you know, I think when you look three to five years down the road, I think that probably someone else at the reins. I think you know. Everything that happened this summer is such a unique situation with, you know, Griff and the new regime coming in. Um, but, yeah, my my prediction is that, you know, he's probably not the coach a couple seasons down the line. Um, I, would, I would expect to see a new voice in there. Okay. Now, and I also do want to ask you this about Lonzo, right? Lonzo's been kind of one of the most maligned. It talked about NBA players relative to his dad as the league for the last couple of years. A lot of it has to do with his dad, you know, he has the younger brother. And, and you even mentioned yourself, you really like Lonzo's game. What is the one thing you don't think people appreciate about Lonzo Ball? Oh, um, I don't know. Lonzo is such a, a polarizing player because on, on one hand, 
you know, there are like a bunch of Lonzo stands in the beginning part of the year. I feel like I was critical of Lonzo because he really struggled out of the gates and it was, it was hurting the Pelicans. And man, I, I got it from the Lonzo stands on the internet. On, on the other hand, you know, there are people who've seen that, that crooked jumper in the past and I just don't like it at all. I don't know. I feel like I've, I feel like I've been able to, to kind of evaluate him pretty accurately so far. Um, I think he's a good defender. I mean, I don't know what just the general perception of that. Maybe maybe people don't realize that he is a plus on that end, and I think he mostly has been since he came into the NBA. I mean, obviously the improved three-point shot has been a big storyline this year. I mean, it, it's crazy if you just look at still images of, of where he's releasing the three last year compared to where he's releasing the of his body this year is on the right side of his body but it's it's so hard to make a, a fundamental change like that to your stroke and, and for it to translate and it has been this season so um, I don't know I mean he's a brilliant playmaker I feel like everybody knows that right yeah everybody does know that oh and also too because lots of people right kind of you know, the running joke was when the Pelicans got Alonzo. You're going to have to worry about LeVar. You're going to have to worry about this fanfare. And for, at least for my end of the things, right, in my own little world, I have heard really nothing about LeVar Ball causing any issues. Is LeVar Ball even around the team in New Orleans? Not very often. Um, I've seen him at a handful of games this year. I mean, I can probably count on one hand the, the games I've seen him at. I mean, they're still doing the reality show. I've seen him do a few TV hits here, here and there and just say some wild stuff. But, I mean... I think part of it too is, uh, you know, Lonzo has in some ways disassociated himself from that a little bit. I mean, he's not part of Big Baller brands. I mean, if you just look at where he's, what he's wearing on his feet during games, he's wearing uh, Nike, he's wearing Kobe shoes. Um, so, you know, I think Lonzo has kind of become his own man in a lot of ways this year. And, you know, when you do see LeVar, you know, saying some crazy stuff from time to time, I think, you know, Lonzo's teammates understand that, like, Lonzo loves his family, um, and he wants to have a relationship with them, but at the same time, you know, he doesn't <laughs> agree with that or anything like that, and he's kind of his own guy and can't really control what his dad says. And J.J. Redick, what type of guy is J.J. Redick to cover? I just want to know that because you mentioned J.J. Redick. Uh, he's a no BS guy when he talks about Zion. What type of guy is J.J. Redick to cover? I know he does a podcast, has a lively personality. Well, what is J.J. Redick like? Oh, man, uh, J.J. Reddick's incredible to cover. I feel like uh, I learn a lot about the game, and I feel like he also makes me better at my job, too, because if you ask a dumb question, J.J. will, he's not, like, nice about it. He'll just swatch you out of there and basically tell you, like, ask me something better than that. Um, I mean, he's a really smart dude, interested in a lot of different things. Uh, I've enjoyed, I enjoy the cooking takes and the culinary takes that he gives on his podcast. Uh... I think he's a guy who reads a lot. I don't know. I, I think Jay is a really interesting guy. And, you know, as far as basketball IQ, I mean, he's just been around so long, um, been in so many different situations. He's, it's, it's about as high as, as any player in the NBA. So I've, I've had a great time, you know, covering JJ this year. And my last question for you, Christian, what's the funniest moment you've had this year? Because you mentioned this year you're kind of new to covering the team. You were in Denver before. What's the funniest moment? Because you have to have a funny moment, right? You got Alonzo, you got Zion, you got Brandon. You got all these young guys on the team. There has to be a funny moment that you're just like, damn, just tell us that. Oh, man. Uh, the there might be a couple. I'm comfortable sharing 
uh, publicly is probably, so I was in Detroit covering a Pelicans-Pistons game the night of the college football national championship. So 99.9% of Louisiana is watching LSU play this game. I'm there with Will Gillery, who covers the Pelicans for the Athletic, and there's like 3,000 Pistons fans in the stands. Uh, both teams are really banked up. It was, it was just one of the worst games I've, I've worst played NBA games I've ever watched. Um, the Pelicans <laughs> uh, won in overtime, and I always remember the Pelicans were up um, six points with like 30 seconds ago. They were clearly going to win the game, but one of their players bricked two free throws in a row. I remember the announcer over the Pistons loudspeaker like, celebrated like the, the Pistons had just won the championship or something. They were doing some promotion where they got free tacos. And the Pelicans were going to clearly win this terribly played basketball game, but the Pistons uh, PA announcer goes, Snackers! over the loudspeaker, and me and Will just turn to each other and just start laughing like, Dad, get this game over with. <laughs> any ones that, any other ones that you want to share? Oh, man. Uh, a lot of stuff I don't want to say in a podcast, but it's been, um, it's been a really fun year, man. I mean, uh, the highs and the lows have been a good learning experience, I think. I mean, to, to cover a team that went through the longest losing streak in franchise history and that had a chance, or you know, has a chance, I guess, to make the playoffs is, is pretty crazy. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Well, Christian, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. All right, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. And once again, I want to thank Christian Clark for coming on the show, covers the New Orleans Pelicans for The Advocate. Really appreciate it. Another round of applause for Christian. Hope to hopefully be able to get him on again. Really insightful, really smart. Loved having him on. Wish I could have got a little bit of those stories that you can't tell on air about, about the young Pelicans players. I can only imagine, right? I graduated in Lonzo Ball's class. Shout out high school class 2016. So I, I, I can imagine. I have friends that do... Crazy stuff, funny stuff at times that may be considered inappropriate, not mainstream, as you will. So I can only imagine the, the stuff. I, I can only imagine, but I want to thank Christian uh, for coming on the show. Now, I want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode, the 144th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Well, she always had a way of getting her way. We could never work out if I wasn't willing to change. It was always my hair, my clothes, my hat. She hated my job, my dog, my.